Good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, and we're saying, bam! We're just tearing it, uh, tearing it wide open and busting this thing wide open for Jesus, lifting up the standard, which is His name, and just thanking God for the opportunity to know Him and to serve Him and to teach His Word across the nations. Glad that you're with us here this morning. If you're joining us for the very first time, uh, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, a ministry of Raven Ministries International and under the, uh, the, the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're glad to be here. Uh, if you want information about what we're all about, if you're thinking, man, what have I come upon? We are just a bunch of bona fide, legitimate Jesus freaks. We love Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We like to lift up that name above every other name. And we believe that there's only one way to get to heaven. It's through Christ Jesus. We're, we're not looking for a loophole. We're not looking for a backdoor approach. We're coming in through that one name, and it says that every knee has got to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we don't want to leave any uh, any room for any misunderstanding uh, about what we're all about. We're all about Christ Jesus. We believe that everyone is going to have to come to Him and bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the good news is that salvation is for anyone that would believe. If anyone would, would come to Him and, and deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Him, He has made a place for them in His kingdom for eternity. If you don't, folks, the bad news is that you will die and you will spend eternity in hell. But the good news is that He is good and His, His mercy endures forever. So we've come to the table of mercy today. And so we come before the, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come in the Word. It literally is coming to the table in the place of mercy. To discover Him, discover the way of escape that He's provided for us. The Word of God says that there's no temptation that has overcome us, but that that which is common to all men, but with every temptation, he provides a way of escape. And the good news is, 2,000 years ago, on a dusty hill called Calvary, uh, he provided the way of escape through his own blood and through the, the, the work of the cross of Calvary. And so, we're here today as recipients of his mercy and his forgiveness and of the transforming power of his salvation. And the good news is that, that, that salvation isn't something strictly to, to change us uh, positionally as far as where we're going, but it literally changes us eternally. As, as in regards to who we are. And so it's not what we do in regards to religion. It's who we are in regards to having a relationship with Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for coming today. We are in an expository teaching on the book of Romans. And today is our da -da -da, what number? Class number 93. We are rapidly racing towards class number 100 on the in the book of Romans. And we thank you. Many of you have been with us the, the whole time. Some of you have not. Never fear if you have not been with us. You can actually go to our website at www.biggrace.com. And you can click on Raven Magazine or the Raven Institute. And you can download all the previous 92 classes up to this point. Uh, in MP3 format, they are free of charge. There's no 29.95 for a tape series. It is all freely received, and we freely give. And we hope that uh, you can take those and, and glean something from that. And maybe God will just use that as a spark to ignite your desire to be Berean-like, according to Acts 17:11, to search the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. And so, once again, glad that you're with us today on a day that He has made for us to know Him and to make Him known and declare His goodness and His righteousness and the power of His salvation. Literally, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, even as we're doing this morning through this vehicle of the World Wide Web. And so if you're with us, thank you so much for joining us, and we just pray that you're blessed and that God would uh, 
uh, just give you some insight as he's given us insight into his word uh, that we could be more effective uh, soul winners for the kingdom of heaven, that we could be uh, uh, greater servants in his kingdom as well. So good to have everyone here today. Let's go to the Lord Jesus in prayer, and we'll bust this thing wide open for Jesus today. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy, which endures forever. Father, I thank you for the cross, Lord God. I thank you for the cross, Lord God, which was done for me, Lord God. I thank you that had it been just for, for any of us as individuals, Lord God, and that, that Christ Jesus, because of his great love for us, Lord God, would have poured his love out as well just for us as individuals. And I thank you today, Lord God, that we are a company of the redeemed. And according, Lord God, to, to Hebrews, Lord God, that we're also, Lord God, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we thank you, Lord God, for the witness of the Spirit. We thank you for the witness of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, for the body of Christ, fitly joined together, each one supplying the needs of the other. And Father, we thank you today that we can come at the to the table, Lord God, that you have spread before us of your word, Lord God. I thank you that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And today, Lord God, that you have pre- presented, Lord God, us a, a full course meal, Lord God, of your holy word, Lord God, through this, 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 this book, Lord God, the Bible. And Father, we just ask today, Lord God, that you would just give us a, a, a revelation, Lord God, and an understanding, Lord God, of your word, that that would be that theonustos to us, Lord God, that you would breathe that that God breathe word into our hearts and lives, Lord God, that we might go out, Lord God, and breathe that word into other people. The word says that, 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 that when we believe, Lord God, as the scripture says, out of our belly is going to flow rivers of living water. Lord God, we want to be, Lord God, that, that, that wellspring of life, Lord God, that, that surge, Lord God, that refreshing, Lord God, that goes out into the nations, Lord God, that, that, that even as Jesus spoke to the, the, the woman at the well, he said, drink of this water and you'll not, never thirst again. Father, let our words, Lord God, be your word. Lord God, even as they said that never a man spoke like that man. Let us, Lord God, iterate and reiterate, Lord God, the things that you have spoken into our lives as we have hidden your word in our heart, Lord God. Let it come forth out of our life, Lord God, as the issues of life. And Father, I, I thank you, Lord God, for each one that's with us today, Lord God, whether they're here, Lord God, in our live format or, or listening to it in recording, Lord God, our brothers and sisters that, that are listening, Lord God, in foreign countries, Lord God, even in persecuted nations, Lord God, where, where Christianity is, 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 is under fire, Lord God, like in Pakistan. Pakistan and India and our brothers and sisters in the uh, the continent of Africa. Father, we pray for them. We ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen them, encourage them, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Father, you would show them that their labor and their battle, Lord God, is not in vain, Lord God, but there is a victory, Lord God, that you have for them. And I thank you in the name of Jesus for them, for the testimony, Lord God, of their, their steadfastness, Lord God, in the midst of persecution. Because you told us, Lord God, in this world we will face persecution, Lord God, but you said, do not fear, Lord God, that persecution or that tribulation, because you have overcome the world. He said, Blessed are you when men should revile you and persecute you and speak all e- matter of evil against you falsely. He said, For great is your reward in heaven. It says, So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So, Father, today we are rejoicing and we are not just glad, Lord God, but we've got a, a joy unspeakable and full, full of glory. And we are exceedingly glad, Father, that we can be counted, Lord God, worthy. Lord God, not just to be protectors of your glory, but protectors of your suffering, Lord God, to whatever degree that is that, 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 that comes upon our lives, Lord God, wherever we're at at this particular time. And Father, I just pray for each one today. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your word, that we would be receptive. We'd be like reservoirs, Lord God, as you're just pouring the water of your word and that regeneration of your spirit, Lord God, into our lives. That there would be just a flow of your power, Lord God, and your anointing to come upon us. Father, we need the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. We need the rub. We need to, to come in contact, Lord God, with you. Lord God, and today, we're just like Joshua, who, who found himself pressing 
lifting up for God against that, that tabernacle of meeting in the wilderness when Moses was in there speaking to you face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Father, we press against the tabernacle. We press against that place, Lord God, desiring to get that rub, to get that anointing, Lord God, to, to hear your voice, Lord God, and to make that your voice known. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask you to, to squash any imagination, any high thing, Lord God, anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ Jesus. We just ask that those things right now be taken under captivity, Lord God, and to the obedience of Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord God, right now that we would have the mind of Christ, Lord God, that, 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 uh, that our thoughts and our, in our, in our heart and our understanding, Lord God, would be quickened by the Spirit, Lord God, and that your anointing would break yokes of bondage, whatever they are, struggles with learning disabilities, comprehension, Lord God, and, and my, maybe my ability to, to uh, clearly articulate your word. Father, whatever those things are, we bind those things up in the name of Jesus, and we just ask, Lord God, that our ears would be anointed, that our mouths would be anointed, that our understanding, Lord God, would be anointed, our eyes would be anointed to see, Lord God, and our feet, Lord God, uh, would be anointed to go and do this, Lord God, we put our hands to the plow, Lord God, and press forward to the kingdom. Father, we pray for those that are sick in body, Lord God, those that have been uh, affected by colds, Lord God, like we have here, Lord God, or flu, or whatever it may be, Lord God, some type of disease they've been diagnosed with. Father, we just curse those things in the name of Jesus. And Father, we, we, we uh, cut those things down at their root, Lord God, and we say, Lord God, heal not just to the symptoms, Lord God, but by the, the underlying bacteria or infection, Lord God, or disease, or, 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 or even on the cellular level, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we're just asking, Lord God, for bona fide creative miracles, Lord God, to take place because of the work of the cross today in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for not only being able to come and to, to receive your word, but to go out and do your word, Lord God, in, 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 in accordance, Lord God, with James chapter 1. And we thank you. And everybody said, Amen. 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 And amen. Praise be unto God. Boy, I think we could just have a, a bona fide a Holy Ghost party here praying this morning. But praise God once again for you, for joining us here on the Raven Nation. If you're slipping in the middle of my prayer, man, we're just lifting up Jesus and praying and believing God for those type of things. Don't forget as you're praying, especially you guys that are listening to us live today or maybe listening this week, we got some teams that are going to be in particular areas around the country this week. I think we got a, uh, some folks that are going to be down in the uh, San Diego area working some disaster relief. Uh, Pastor Sam and Lucy, you'll see uh, part of that crew from East Coast right here this morning on. They're going to be heading up to Long Island, New York, be working with Joy Basta doing some outreach there in uh, in the city of New in around New York City and right across the uh, the bay in Long Island. And so pray for them. Uh the the team uh, there's going to be a team there in uh, uh New Orleans, Allen Streets this weekend hitting it uh, hard there in the French Quarter, Bourbon Street, and in various other places. Pastor Brandon out there in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico hitting the streets. And so we got teams that are all all around doing the the work of the ministry. So pray for them that they're out there into the the harvest fields that God will bring forth Harvest. We say many times, you know, uh, 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 some study that I read a number of years ago, it said that it takes somebody getting witness to uh, approximately seven times before they come to Christ. And so our prayer is, God, give us those that are on number seven. Don't give us those that are sitting there wanting to argue about where Cain got his wife or where the dinosaurs went to or any of those other things. Lord God, give us those that Jesus saw in Matthew chapter 9 when it says that he looked out and he was moved with compassion. And he said that the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Lord God, we want to be harvesters for the kingdom, Lord God. And so, Father, I pray for those that are going to be out there in the harvest fields in the name of Jesus, that hearts would be broken, hearts would be ready and ripe, Lord God, that we would not just aim for decision, but we would aim for repentance, Lord God, in Jesus' name, that lives would be changed and transformed, that they would win them to the cross because they're 
preaching the cross of Calvary to change and transform lives. And so keep those guys in prayer this week. And, and every single week we got teams all over. Next week uh, weekend, so next Saturday, we're actually going to be in Miami, Florida, working with a uh, about 75 churches there in uh, the inner city of Miami, uh, doing a big outreach there throughout the city and targeting that place. And so pray for us that God will just give harvest in that time and just really as he's bringing the body of Christ together in the city of Miami, Florida. Uh, it's going to be rough. It's probably going to be 87 degrees. I, I, I tease my people in the north here because some, a lot of you guys are freezing. But just pray for us that God will just bring harvest in the midst of sunny South Florida next week as well. Pastor Terry, I talked to him on the day. He's with us this morning. He said he's going to be uh, leaving. And so he'll probably be back with us live on uh, Friday. So if you're wondering where Pastor Terry, my, my right-hand man, the last uh, few weeks in the morning, he's going to be back on Friday, I believe it is. We're going to finish out probably chapter 7 this week uh, in the next uh, three lessons today in the next two days and, and launch into chapter 8 on, on Monday for you guys that are watching live. For you guys that are listening by tape, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is because you're just hitting play anyhow. But we're going to try to wrap up chapter 7 this week and, and launch into chapter 8 on Monday. So, folks, listen, we've been talking about, let me get a sip of my good old coffee this morning. Praise God, I'm not coughing nearly as much uh, today as I had been the last few days, so praise Jesus for that. Hopefully I won't be coughing in your ear as I'm uh, talking on the microphone today. But folks, listen, the last few uh, classes we've dealt in detail concerning really what we've talked about, the futility of the self-will or willpower in regards to producing righteousness in one's life. Regardless of how hard we try, uh, just as Paul said, Paul has been utilizing really his own uh, experience of his own life after coming to Christ an example. And really as a warning to each and every one of us how easy it is to slip into those subtleties of relying on our good and noble intentions or our religious affiliations or, 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 or whatnot as, uh, as, as, a, as a way to produce some type of righteousness. Folks, listen, the, the only way that, that, that victory is produced is through great, gaining that revelation of the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And, and that's what Paul was talking about. He was, he was showing us that our efforts, our will is futile. We talked about that really in detail uh, over the past uh, several classes about all these things, just as Paul said, that we desire to do, we end up not doing. Things that we swear off and say, I will never do that again. We find ourselves right there in the midst of them. Because what we're doing and really the discovery, what Paul had, and what we've referred to as the, the parenthetical statement of chapter 7, is that you know even when you come to Christ, you, you come to that knowledge of Him, you, you, you come to a place that you want to quote-unquote get saved, that still yet there's, 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 there's those struggles that we come to if we do not see where our victory is. And I think what has happened, and, we, and we've talked about this uh, uh, over the course of these 92 previous lessons, you know, the, the message of the church has changed so much from the message of the gospel. And Galatians warns us, it said, if, if Paul the Apostle said, if anyone comes preaching another gospel, now he's talking to, quote unquote, a church, and he calls them out on that, and he said, if they come preaching any other gospel with the gospel that you've heard preached here, he said, let them be accursed. He said, I don't care if it's an angel, I don't care if it's, if it's, if it's me, is what he said. He said, he said, I said it before and I'll say it again, let them be accursed. And so any gospel that eliminates uh, uh, the necessity and the dependence upon the cross of Calvary solely for our salvation and as our source of victory is, is not a gospel at all, according to Galatians chapter 1. And so what Paul was doing in verses 15 through 18, basically, he was making the case that his will, even though it was good intention, and even though it was noble, even though it was, it was, it was religious to the degree that he, he had a comprehension or understanding or revelation, he, said, he, he was telling us that it, that it could be subverted 
and that Satan could very easily, easily cause him to sin against his own will or will power, as we call it sometimes in this day and age. And so, folks, while it could be reasonably said that the devil made him do it, so to speak, through that vehicle of strategic temptation, the fact of the matter is that this actually served to reveal to Paul the Apostle that he had not really placed all of his trust in, Jesus, in what Jesus Christ had done upon the cross of Calvary in relationship to bringing about total victory in his life. And I think that's an easy trap for each and every one of us to do. We come to Jesus and we have that. And I've used this analogy elsewhere, but I, I think it bears repeating this morning. You know, it's kind of like someone going, it's, it's the whole Matthew 7. If you get a chance, read Matthew 7 verses 1 through 15 or 18. And you'll see the whole point. You know, he's talking about the, the tree... Uh, 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 you know a tree by the fruit that it bears. That a good tree does not bear forth evil fruit. An evil tree does not bear forth uh, good fruit. And he says that not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom. But those that do the will, and it's, that's, a, that's a singular noun, it's the will of God who is in heaven. It said many people will come to me in that day and say, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils and done many miraculous works? And he said, he'll speak to them that they say, I never knew you, you that work iniquity or lawlessness. That word, uh, uh, no is the same word that we find in Matthew 125. It said Joseph did not know Mary. There had never been the consummation of that relationship. And so what it is, and, and I think the point that he's making there and what Paul, I believe, experienced here in, in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans is, is well-intentioned. There's people that will come and say, Lord, Lord. There's people that'll, that are well-intentioned, that'll, that'll cry or weep or feel guilty and say, you know, I, I want to walk an aisle and, and pray a prayer. Folks, that does not equate with salvation. That does not equate especially with salvation that produces victory. He said they'll come and say, well, I joined the church. I did all these type of things. He said, I never knew you. And it's kind of like going out and buying a piece of property. You know, you see a house that you like and you go to it and you make an offer on it and you give them what's called earnest money. You might write them a check for $500 to $1,000 to give a contract and say, listen, I'm interested in purchasing this house. But when you sign that earnest money uh, over to them or you make that agreement and you sign the contract, you've not yet closed the deal. And so you might drive people by the house and say, hey, this is a great house and this is where I want to put it. You might peek in the window, but you don't have the keys to the house. So you never get to move in. Folks, listen, many people have come to Christ with an earnest money type of agreement. They've made, quote unquote, some type of spiritual down payment. They've repeated a Christian mantra. They've said, you know what, I, 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 I believe in Jesus, that he died and he rose again and he come into my heart. But they never produce the type of lifestyle that the gospel was made to produce. And so it becomes like an earnest money type of agreement. And what will happen on that day, unless they come into that place, that's why Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. We've got to, uh, uh, to take people to the revelation of what Jesus did and what it generally means to have faith in Him. And so many people come and say they've done all the things, they've went through the mechanics of Christianity, but He'll say, I've never knew you. I was, you were never intimate with me. There was never a consummation. And that consummation comes from that word fruit in Matthew chapter 7, which is karpos, and it means reproductive fruit. And so there's got to be a reproduction in our life. First off, a reproduction of righteousness in our life through Christ Jesus or the character of Christ that, that comes out, which is holiness and righteousness and, and, and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then secondarily, it's going to be a, a reproduction of souls. And so, folks, listen, we've been given one ministry. And it's according to one will. God's will was that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. And Jesus came, but for one reason, he said, to seek and to save that which was lost. But when the revelation of the cross comes into our life, it ought to cause an urgency for us to go tell other people about him. There ought to be an urgency birthed in us 
through the revelation of what Jesus Christ did, that's going to literally compel us to go and tell somebody. We're going to know what it is when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're going to know what his heart is when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. We're going to know those type of things, that it's the emphatic, that it's something that is not a suggestion, but it's a command that's not birthed out here out of obligation, but it's something that is birthed in us because we're a new person in Christ Jesus, and the things that broke his heart or moved him with compassion, according to nine, uh, 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 Matthew 9, 35 and 36 are the same thing that's going to move us. The, the things that He did, we're going to do also in greater works or to a greater degree because He's gone to be with the Father. But Paul the Apostle was saying, listen, I found myself desiring to have that relationship, but I found myself weak and I found myself transgressing once again because I had placed my, 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 my point of victory or my expectancy of victory in the wrong place. I placed it in my willpower rather than getting that revelation of the cross. Ephesians, I want you to read something. Uh, here, read something with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. It says, Therefore, and this is Paul the Apostle writing to the church of Ephesus. He said, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, or in the sin nature, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. In other words, you're called the uncircumcision by the Jews. And at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down that middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh... The enmity or that divisive place, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. In verse 16, I want you to really pay close attention to. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the enmity. Folks, really, when we die daily, according to 1 Corinthians 5.31, uh, it says, I die daily. Uh, and, in, 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 and, and really, in the faith of Galatians 2.20 and 21 that we talked about here, uh, then what we are really doing is putting to death that enmity or that divisive thing that would serve to literally separate us from a life of victory over the sin nature. And so when we come and we die daily, we say to ourselves, Lord God, what is it about me that's too alive? How can I decrease that you might increase? How am I putting uh, so much stock and so much reliance and so much faith in my will or my willpower uh, rather than in what Jesus Christ did that's the only source of true victory? Remember, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in not what we do, but what He does. And so when He's talking about... In verse 16, this reconciliation in verse 16, it speaks of is that a return to literally a previous state. And that's what reconciliation is. It's, it's a return, a reconciliation to divine favor or reconciliation or return to a previous state of harmony in relationship to, to with God the Father. As we've talked about and coined the phrase here, returning to the God perspective or regaining the God perspective on, on things and the God perspective on how to live righteously and thus victorious through Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, you may remember Acts 17, 28. We've talked about it here and it's very familiar. As soon as I, I say it, you'll, you'll, you'll know the, the phrase. Acts 17, 28. It says, In Him we live and move and have our being. You're familiar with that. We sing the song and we, we do those type of things. But think about this. In Him we live. Okay? What does live mean? Live is that, that, that Greek word zeo, Z-A-O. And it literally means living the, king, the eternal kingdom life. And so if I'm living in the Z-A-O, I'm living the eternal kingdom life. And so 
Him we what? We live. In Him we live the eternal kingdom life. In Him we, we move. That's kineo. And that's the motion or action that brings evidence to the life. And so, Him we live, Him we move, and Him we have our, our being. And that's semen. And that means the proof that the gospel was preached to us. And so it's, it's really uh, interesting in relationship to what Paul's talking about in, 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 in chapter 7, here and specifically uh, what we're going to be talking about in verse 19. He's saying, when I, when I get the revelation of the cross, when I'm crucified with Christ, according to Galatians uh, 2.20, when I die daily, identify with the cross on a daily basis, according to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 15.31, then I can walk out and understand the revelation of Acts 17.28. Uh, in Him I live. In Him I'm living the eternal kingdom life. Folks, listen. What type of life do you want to live? Do you want to live that is laying up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and dust corrupt and thieves break through and steal? Or do you want to live an eternal kingdom life where you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and dust do not corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal? Where, 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 because the word says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Folks, listen, I want my heart. I want my innermost being. I want that part of me that has been transformed by faith in the blood of Jesus to, to have its place, to have its perspective, so to speak, in the eternal kingdom realm. I want to walk out and not just quote uh, Matthew 6.33 and seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, but I want to live that. I want it, I want it to be, the, everything in my life is predicated upon that. The fact of the matter is that I am living in that Zao, that I'm living in that eternal kingdom life so that I can move. In Him I live. Because folks, listen, you, unless you live there, you will never be able to move within those ranks. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. Why? Because he not only lived, but he was the eternal kingdom life. And so if I want to be moved by the things that moved him, I've got to, number one, be focused upon the things that, that he was focused on. I've got to be identified with a place, amen, that he provided for me to be identified. The place of reconciliation is the cross. And so when I set my affections upon the cross, when I'm like Paul the Apostle in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 2.2, that says, I'm determined not to know anything or to be intimate with anything or allow the consummation of anything to come into my life, but Christ and Him crucified, what happens? Boom! Now, my perspective on everything changes. My perspective on my, my marriage changes. And after 21 years of marriage, I can still have a, a, a delightful marriage and I can love my wife more. My perspective on my raising my children changes. My perspective on my finances changes. My perspective on, on loving people and feeding the hungry and, and, and being a, an obedient person and being a good citizen, whatever those things are, when, I, when I, I'm in Him living, my perspective becomes His perspective and everything that flows out of that perspective is going to produce victory. It's going to produce righteousness in my life. And so in Him I live and in Him I kineo. In Him I move. Or My action is that brings about the evidence in my life. We've talked about here about we're saved by grace through, by faith, uh, grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. And grace being the word charis in the Greek, that's by definition the divine influence upon God and its reflection in the life. And so it's grace that comes in that, that causes us to be able to be reconciled, but it's grace also that causes that reflection in our life, and it's the kaneo accompanied with that grace that allows the evidence to come out of our life. And so, folks, listen, if I'm, if I'm focused on eternity, if I'm focused on a kingdom type of mentality, I'm going to live there, and I'm going to move there, and I'm going to have my being there. And it's going to be the proof, literally, that semen, S-E-M-E-N, that, that the gospel has been preached into my life. 
Folks, listen. You know, we, we say that proof is in the pudding, so to speak. That, that in, or Matthew 7, that, that you know a tree by its fruit. You can tell where the gospel has been preached by the, uh, the, by the fruit that's the indicator of such. By the carpos. Uh, by that type of fruit. It will be reproducing after God's kind. It will be reproducing after righteousness. It will have the heart. It will have the passion. It will have the desire. If it is not reproducing after that, if it does not have its being or the proof of the gospel, folks, it is another gospel according to Galatians chapter 1. And so, uh, when the finished work of the cross... Now, I want you to hear this. When the finished work of the cross becomes revelation to us, then it will all also become demonstration through us. When the, when the work of the cross becomes revelation to us, it will become demonstration through us. You need to write that down. I tell you what, you ought to be able to preach about six messages just off of that. When the cross becomes revelation to us, it will become demonstration through us. Too many, too many times in the church today, there's people that literally do not have a revelation of the cross. Why can I, I say that? Because the demonstration of the cross and the urgency of the cross is not made manifest within that realm of the kingdom. And so as a result, what you do is you have people that go to churches. Folks, I've been guilty. I've sat in churches. I shared a testimony a week or so ago about when I was young and I went into a, a, a really a mega church that I was a part of for about three years. And when I came out of that, I was so dead. But I didn't know it until I came out and I got a, a revelation of where I was. I was going through the things. I went to church. I had my little uh, cell group. I did all those type of things. But I did not have the heartbeat of Jesus. And so when I, when I stepped out of that realm and God took me back into the ghetto, and literally to the streets of where He was, that, 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 that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Him to preach the gospel of the poor, when I found myself back in that environment, the first place He took me was the first John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And you know, I thought love was this ooey-gooey thing that we're having kumbaya times at church. But He showed that God loved the world so much that He gave His, His, His only begotten Son. That the real indicator of the love of God is not just being evangelistic, but being altruistic. Living your life for the benefit of other people. And specifically, that Jesus became the friend of sinners to the degree that He was willing to lay down His life. No greater love has any man known but the man that would be willing to lay down his life for a friend. And so, when we go out and preach the gospel, we begin to go share the Word of God with the lost and dying. Literally, what we're seeing is the revelation coming not just to us, but through us and walking in the genuine love of God because it's, it's, it's not dependent upon our personality or our background, but there's an urgency in our hearts and we're looking just like I shared with you about walking down Bourbon Street one night about ready to, to preach and the Lord spoke to me and said, what would you do if someone run, ran out of one of these buildings on fire? And I, and I said in my heart, I said, Lord, I'd do anything to put them out. He said, they're all on fire. And in me, it birthed an urgency, and I began to look at people, and began to look at the, the multitudes, and I began to look at the ministry, and, and my obligation to Him in such a different way, that there is a world, there is a generation that is literally on fire, and that, that according to Isaiah chapter 4, hell is ever enlarging itself, but God has given us the fire extinguisher of the preaching of the gospel, according to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to extinguish the flames that is consuming people day by day and hour by hour. So that is our opportunity to do that. And so, folks, when that all that we say and do are that demonstration of the cross, really it's going to resonate with the power and victory to overcome uh, not only those things that, that come upon us, but those things that, that bind other people as well. And so, the only place victory can come 
is, is when it's through the cross and what it's going to produce is a, is a thing that we're going to be pursuing after holiness, we'll pursue after obedience, and we'll pursue after eternity. We will have that, that, that kingdom mindset. We will have that, that, that frame of mind that we're living uh, in the eternal kingdom type of life. And so I want to read uh, these four verses of Scripture again where Paul is making his case that our will can be overcome by Satan when it's our self-will or willpower that we rely on for victory over the sin nature. And I'm going to read 15 through 18 together. Then I'm going to use that to, as, a, as a catalyst for what we're going to be talking about in verse 19 this morning. He said, For what I'm doing, I do not understand. He said, For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. In other words, it exposes it for what it is. But now it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Then in verse 19, folks, Paul does what he has done literally throughout this letter to the Romans. He intentionally is going to repeat himself again. To literally drive home that point that he's trying to make. And, and so let's take a look at this verse and, and, and hopefully look a little bit deeper into the point that he's trying to make that he obviously does not want us to miss. Paul does this a lot. He'll, he'll, he'll use these, these types of techniques to drive the point home. He'll say, in the, he'll, he'll say, just like he said in Galatians, he says, As I've said before, I'll say again. In other words, if you didn't hear me the first time, let me repeat myself. And so in verse 19 he said this. He said, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that is what I practice. Anybody ever been there and done that? And so he says, For the will that I will to do simply states that no matter how hard he tried, and, and despite all of his religious training, according to uh, Philippians chapter 3, regardless of his upbringing, regardless of the fact that he was a Benjamite, circumcised eighth, uh, on the eighth day, uh, the chief stock of Israel, regardless of all those things, regardless of his Damascus Road experience, regardless of, of, of praying through faith, he could not live up to the moral law of God. That's where he found himself. He found himself undone. He said, I've come to Christ. I've, 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 I've earnestly come to Him like an earnest money agreement. He said, but I've never seen the consummation of that place up to this point where I've got the revelation of the finished work of the cross that I can walk in victory. And, and, and so Christ literally gave him that personal revelation of that so He could give us to us. Folks, listen. What has happened, and it's a sad commentary in the American church, is the cross... For what it was and truly what it does has been removed from the equation. And as a result, the only antidote for, for, for walking in the sin nature has been removed from the equation. What you see is you see widespread carnal Christianity. You see all this, this nonsense that's going on under the guise of Christianity that's not it. There's got to be a revelation. There's got to be a revolution that comes back into the church where we begin to preach that, that, that thing that, that causes us to be crucified. <coughs> the cross was not a pretty place. But it was a very necessary place, but it was a victorious place because that's where he triumphed over our adversaries in those type of things. You know, folks, listen. Paul was saying that regardless of how I was brought up, I kept finding myself to do that. You know, I, I, can, I can totally, totally relate to that, which I'm sure every single one of us. I remember being taken to Sunday school uh, uh, class as a kid. I remember participating in all the, I don't know if you remember, maybe you had a different type of church, but they always had these contests for us. Scripture memorization, you know, Bible challenge. They'd ask a question, you had to be able to flip to it and find the passage and, and answer the question. Uh, how, which kid could bring the most offering? You know, when, when all else fell, 
sales? You know, see who can bring the most money to Sunday school. How many guests can you break? And folks, listen, I'll be real honest with you. I, I won all those contests. I had the ribbons. I got the plaques, all that stuff. If I went, I got it. And, you know, I was competitive is what I will. T- today, they'll, they'll try to make it, uh, uh, what do you call it? They'll, they'll make it politically correct and they'll say you're just goal-oriented. No, folks, I wanted to drive it home. I wanted to do the happy dance. I wanted to do the icky shuffle and say I know the script. You know, I, that's where I was coming from. Listen, I wasn't saying that it's going to make me more spiritual. I knew that I would get an extra bag of cookies or I'd get something to pin to my shirt or I'd get the trophy or whatever else. That's what I was motivated from right then and there. And But the, the bottom line was is that, that, that if I was going to be there, I was going to win whatever contest was going on at the time. That was my motivation. If I had to go and if I was going to do it, I was going to do it. But folks, listen, I want, I want to say that all of those things that I did, all of those efforts that I put, the ribbons, the, the certificates, blah, 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 even to the point of getting dunked in a tank and getting wet and getting the certificate that says on this day is baptized, etc. All of those things did very little to enable me to overcome the, the, the onslaught that Satan would bring against me or my will or willpower as I entered my teenage years. I, went, I ended up going to the parties. I ended up chasing the girls. I drank the beer. I used the profanity. I participated in all those things. But, uh, but I, would, I would try to think that I was saved, yet literally I was just a religious young man who had learned and been conditioned to demonstrate some type of pseudo-Christianity that was easily passed off for the real deal because those that were around me, including those in the church, were no more victorious over the sin nature than I was. Maybe they weren't partying. Maybe they weren't chasing the young girls. Maybe they weren't doing those type of things. But genuinely, they were not walking in victory over the sin nature any more than I was. Their failures might have been in another area. And so they would pat me on the back and they would tell me how great I did and how good of a boy I am and I made good grades in school and I'm not out doing drugs and I'm not getting thrown in jail. And so, man, I must be a Christian. Uh, apple pie, baseball, and the good old U.S. of A. And I can quote a scripture uh, from the King James Bible. But folks, listen. There was nothing changed and transformed. Second Corinthians 5.17, to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away, all things are become new. That was not even it. I was totally, even though my, my, my intentions were well, when it come right down to it, my, the fruit of my life said I was very disingenuous towards the things of God. But when I got about 18 years old and I began to do a survey of my own life as, as Christ Jesus began to convict me, I found out that all those people that told me I was saved had been lying to me. That the Spirit itself would bear witness that I was a child of God. I had conditioned myself through religious acts and practices, but I had never been born again. Did I do good things? Did I make good grades? Did I, did I, did I try to pursue an education? Blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. But I tell you what, I was lost as a thanksgiving goose. I was as religious as the Pharisees that he said you look good on the outside, but inside you are like an open sepulcher. You are a whitewashed tomb. That you are clouds without rain. Don't get me preaching this so early this morning. But at 18 years old, folks, nearly, what, 23 years ago, uh, I, I, I had enough. I said, I looked at that word that, that I quoted. I, I looked at those things and I said to myself, there has got to be no, no way that I want to continue in this. Certainly, 
There's got to be a better victory. There's got to be something else. I, I began to look at the cross and the message of the cross. And I said, you know what? Jesus, you died for more than me walking out these things as some other religious person. Who The only difference in me is, is I know the routine. I know the, 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 uh, the, what to say at the right time and where I hang out, out on Sunday morning. And so I came to him with a heart of repentance. And I said, God, you've got to give me a revelation of the cross of Calvary. You've got to bring me to a place of, of victory over that sin nature. And I tell you what, boom! I came into Christ Jesus and all those bondages that were in my life instantaneously because I knew the truth. The truth made me free. No more womanizing. No more partying. No more beer drinking with my buddies. No more fighting and carousing. The Spirit of God came upon me. He delivered me. He set me free just like the Word of God told me He could. And so it, it wasn't through my own acts of righteousness. I already tried that. But it's through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary I got set free just like that instantaneously 23 years ago. And I had people at the time, religious imposters literally, would come to me and they'd say, listen, you're zealous now, but you know, it's just because you're young and you'll get, you'll get over it. When I started, when I pastored my first church in my early 20s, they told me, you're just young, you'll get over it. When, when I got into my 30s, they said that you're, you're just young, you'll get over it. In my 40s, they're still telling me, you're just young, you'll get over it. Folks, listen, I ain't going to get over it because I got up on it, amen. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives inside of me. And when I identified myself with that, when I put faith in Him, and I got the, the victory through the only place that could bring victory, not through going to church, not through reading the latest best-selling Christian author's book, but by putting faith in the blood of Jesus and, and the, the work of the cross of Calvary and dedicating myself to preaching that Word with, 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 without fear and without compromise, what happened? It began to reproduce that type of fruit in my life and began to bring the expectancy. And as a result of that, I've seen thousands upon thousands of people get saved and come to the Lord Jesus Christ in victory, nearly just like in some cases, just like Philip or the Ethiopian eunuch. Man, I'm somewhere and God uh, just uh, uh, caused me to preach that word and I'll preach that word under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Somebody gets saved, I won't have contact with them. Nine or ten months later, I'll, I'll get an email from them or something else and they'll just be testifying of what God did. Why? Because folks, it's, 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 it's not my works of righteousness. It's not my Sunday school contest that's going to do it. It is the preaching of the cross, revelation of the cross that's going to save and transform people's lives. And what you save them with is what you save them to. And he said, I am able to keep those things that you have committed unto me. And so Paul the Apostle had to come to that place and say, listen... I've tried it all, I've done it all, but I did not have the victory. My will or willpower was not powerful enough. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, gave it up, came to the cross, got the victory of Christ Jesus, and I sit here today as a testimony that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or even comprehend in our mind. But folks, listen, I realize that many, there's been many that have fallen into the, literally the plague of, I'll just call it self-righteousness, who would never admit that they're just religious lost people like I was. Because, sure, these things would, would, would not apply to them. They'd say, listen, I, I'm not doing all these wicked things. I'm doing righteous things. And, and what they would say is, they'd say, listen, I've been patted on the back. My pastor said I'm great or whatever else. And they've been told how wonderful they are and how wonderful of a plan that God has for their life. And now they're, they're working and they're aligning themselves with the assignment that God has. And they're pressing towards their destiny. And they learn the five love languages. And, and they're, they, they took in the, 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 the spiritual gifts test and they're on their way. Folks, listen. All that stuff, been there, done that, saw it, saw the wreckage that it produced in my life and other people's lives. We've got to come back to the simplicity 
of the, the revelation of the cross given to us through the, the Word of God. And so, yet, they, just as I, never walked in the genuine nature of repentance from dead works. Works that seemed genuine, but truly did not produce victory over the sin nature. Folks, listen, really, think, speaking of dead works, just look at, turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. I want, I want to show you what Paul was dealing with and what Paul was preaching. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. Why is it that the things that I want to do, I don't do? The evil that I say I'm not going to do, I end up practicing. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. He said, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Be perfect even as He is perfect. Let's move on to maturity. Let's move on to that place of perfection. Then he said this. He said, Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, the doctrines of baptism, laying on hands of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. For this will we do if God permit. Verse 4. It is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucified themselves, <coughs> excuse me, the Son of God afresh, and put Him to an open shame. Now, if you just read that, that can be real scary. You know what I'm saying? That'll put you in a, that'll ought to put the fear of God onto your life when you see verse 4. Folks, listen. What he's talking about is the enlightenment of the cross. And, and literally... Uh, not solely the suffering or, or the taking of the penalty of the cross. And so when he's talking about not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, what he's wanting to do is give, talking about that, this, this uh, revelation of the cross. And so it's, it, the enlightenment of the cross is not just saying, you know what, I know Jesus died for me. And that's where a lot of people leave it. They say, listen, he died and he, he took my sins and he died. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And he's, he's, I ask you to come into my life. And that's somebody's, that's many people's uh, uh, attitude towards salvation. They're, they're told that off of stadium events. Just come up and we'll play just as I am and you can repeat this prayer and you're saved. Folks, listen, that's not salvation. And so they say, listen, he, he come and he, he, he bore your sins and come, come give them to Jesus. Now that's part of it. But what happens is when we just come to that place and just look at that, that penalty of sin upon it, what we've done is we, we've crucified uh, to themselves the Son of God afresh. But looking upon the cross has got to be a place of not just the penalty for our sins, but it's got to be the place of our victory. Okay? It can't be the place where we put our wrongs, but it's got to be the place where every wrong has been righted through who Jesus Christ was. That He is the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. That God was not doing me a favor, or I'm not doing God a favor, I should say, by getting saved. That, that God somehow owed me this, and that God is, is doing it. Folks, listen, when we, when, when we were born, as David said in the 51st Psalm, in sin I was conceived in my mother's womb, <coughs> and there's darkness, and He desires truth in the inward parts. Listen, we were born destined for hell. And it's God through His mercy that He came and provided the way of escape through the cross of Calvary. And we've got to come to that revelation of that, that the cross is my place of victory. That it's not just a place where I can put my sins and I cannot feel guilty anymore, but it's a place where I'm changed and I'm transformed. Folks, the truth is that all believers are weak within themselves and their own will and until we come to the place where we see the only source of victory is the cross we will never be able to walk in the overcoming strength of the Holy Spirit that is in our lives. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10 in relationship to this. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 2, uh, 12, 1-10 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10 Paul the Apostle said this. Here's the, here's the example of where he got that revelation of that God perspective. 
He said, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven, or caught up into like I call the God perspective. He said, I knew such a man. Whether in body or out of body I cannot tell, but God knows. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, uh, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of, uh, of such a one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for will I say the truth? But now forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me be or hears me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will, uh, would rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I am made strong. <coughs> the reason I want to bring that up is this. All the apostles got caught up into this place. He, he regained that perspective. He got ended up getting a revelation of the cross through seeing who Christ Jesus was and just how uh, a tremendous of a price that was. But it says that he was given a, a thorn in the flesh. Now, people have speculated on all these type of things, what it was. But I believe really what it was that he was able to see what we've talked about here. And I believe if we look at the whole of Paul's writings that we'll really see what it was. I believe what he got is he got a revelation of not only cross, but he got a revelation of the sin nature. So many times the church focuses on sin. We focus on drugs. We focus on cigarettes. We focus on homosexuality. And, and so as a result, what we're doing is just picking the fruit off a tree but leaving the tree. What we're doing is wiping the nose but never dealing with the cold or the sickness that caused that infection to come about. And so what Paul was, I believe he got a, what his thorn in the flesh was or that thing that buffed him or kept him disciplined, so to speak, was a revelation of the sin nature. He, he, he got to see those things in glory. He got to see that God perspective. But at the same time, he knew that that sin nature was always there. And it was there to buffet him or to keep him disciplined. Lest at any time that he should be exalted above measure. He said, you know what? I know that thing is laying in wait to deceive me. I know that thing is always there. I got a revelation of it. The Lord showed me that I've been seated with him in heavenly places. But this, this, this old sin nature, that, that thing that would always cause me to do something against my will, is always laying there waiting on me to give it power. Waiting on me to yield to it. Waiting on me sometime to put faith in my own ability and boom, it's going to pounce upon me. So as a result, Paul got that, 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 that revelation. He said, listen, I know where my hope is. My hope is not that I was a Pharisee, that, 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 that considering the, the, the law I was blameless. Not any of those things. He said, my hope and my victory is strictly in what Christ Jesus has done for me. And so I want to read verse 19 in its entirety. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I... Excuse me. For the good that I would do... I do not do, but the evil which I would not do, that is what I do. I want to ask you a question today. Is sin a matter of choice? Is sin a matter of choice? I know you get afraid to answer these questions because everybody thinks that they're going to get them wrong. This is one that you, you, if you say yes or no, you can't get it wrong, so feel free to answer anyway. Is sin a matter of choice? Studio audience here said yes. And in really, in the strict sense of the word, the answer is yes. But it really, I believe, needs a literally a kind of a deeper examination and, and a look at how it affects us. Anyone looking at this verse of Scripture, and really this whole seventh chapter, would have to see that Paul's first choice... What was Paul's first choice? To do, not. To do good. 
And so righteousness was a matter of choice for him as well. And so the thing that he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. And so was that his choice? See, you were already caught, aren't we? And so we say in the strictest sense, sin is a choice. But Paul said, listen, I didn't choose to do that. But I ended up doing it anyway. So his choice was not sin. His choice was to do good. And so if I say, is, is sin a choice? In a general sense of the word, strictly we'd say, yeah, it's a choice because you know, you're led away by your own lust and ties. It brings forth death. Yeah, in a strict sense of the word. But we look at what Paul's saying right here. He's saying, listen, I didn't want to sin. My choice was to do good and I still did rotten. Anybody been there besides me in the studio audience here today? Yet, as right of a choice as he made, he could not overcome the one thing that didn't care what kind of choice he was making. The sin nature. Do you hear me, folks? The thing about it is, 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 is we may, by our will, our willpower, our, 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 our strength, our own righteousness, we may make the choice to do good. But our sin nature could care less what choices we're making. It's not going to honor our choices. It's not going to say, okay, you outvoted me this time, or you got me on that one. All right, I'll shut up. The sin nature does not care what choice that you're making. Are you seeing that? The sin nature says you can shut your mouth. I don't care what choice you're making. I'm always going to oppose the choice to do good. I'm always going to come. And so, there will all, the, the, the will or desire of the sin nature is always to ultimately do evil. Now, that evil may look good. It may look like self-righteousness. But it's always going to be filthy rags. And, and, and when we are not walking in the victory over the sin nature, then it will always lead us to a place of destruction. And so when we talk about choice, then we've got to ask ourselves, what type of choice? What's the choice that we're talking about? Folks, listen. Overcoming sin or the sin nature is not as simple as saying no to sin. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Blah, 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 blah. Praise the Lord. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I'm not going to think that way. Folks, it's not as, as simple as saying no to sin. But it's learning to say yes to Jesus. Do you hear me? You've got to come to the place of, uh, of, of serving and, and, and saying yes to Jesus. And the problem I think that we run into is the issue of self-righteousness, which is self-will. Or think that we have the ability in and of ourselves, or we can do a few things. If I memorize enough scripture, or I pray enough hours of the day, somehow I'm going to have victory. All those things are good. All those things may contribute to, to, to what God's doing in your life. But folks, listen. Faith and faith alone in what Jesus did is what's going to bring victory. Otherwise, the Pharisees who spent hours praying in the streets and, and doing all the things, fasting often, otherwise, that, that prayer and that memorization, they knew it all. They memorized the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses, word for word. If that would have done it, it would have done it for them, and Jesus Christ would not have had to die upon the cross of Calvary. So, folks, you've got to ask yourself the question. If I'm in that situation that I'm not gaining victory, that I'm not getting the hope, the answer is got to be just like Jesus. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought to yourself, uh, what about deliverance? Some of you guys have heard about, you know, there's been a push towards deliverance and deliverance ministry. And, and folks, I, I think deliverance comes in, but not probably in the sense of, of what people think. I believe that, 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 that deliverance from those things plays a role. But I think what happens is uh, that, that people will sometimes get, quote unquote, delivered without an understanding of what the word says about victory. And so what will happen is they'll get delivered for a moment. Man, people will pray over them. They'll cast out devils. They'll do all these things. But they never get the, 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 the revelation of, of, of exactly what we're talking about here. And so they find themselves almost instantaneously slipping right back into those things. They'll go and they'll weep and they'll cry and they'll moan. They'll come to church. They'll let, get lay hands on them. They'll do all those type of things. And they'll, they'll, they'll think that they're free. 
but they're not free. I want to give you an example of that. Jesus, Jesus said this in Luke 4.18. He went in, he went into the, the, the temple, he picked up the scroll, the, the, the prophet Isaiah, and he began to read. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and to what? To preach deliverance to the captives. Now, what brought about deliverance? He preached deliverance. Did it say that he went and said, okay, I'm going I'm to lay hands and come out of there. You found that demon spirit. He did some of that. Absolutely. But the preaching of the gospel or the revelation of the cross is what brings deliverance. You shall know the truth. The truth will make you free. Certainly a component of it is laying hands and binding Satan and casting him out. Absolutely. I agree with that. 100%. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, you'll, you'll speak in new tongues. You'll lay hands on the sick. You'll cast out devils. I believe in everything that the Word of God says. But he said he was sent to preach deliverance. Folks, listen. You will never walk in deliverance or in deliverance, quote-unquote, deliverance ministry as a believer until you first preach deliverance. I've got to preach deliverance to those that are in captivity before I can administer at deliverance under the life. Otherwise, what happens is deliverance comes on the backside, then the old sin nature slips right back in to the situation. Pardon? Deliverance is the preaching. It starts, and the power of deliverance is the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross is those that perish is foolishness. But the unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. The power to save, the power to deliver, the power to bring victory over sin. Folks, listen. A lot of times the church will slip into this psychological type of thing. They'll want to sign you up for maybe, you know, eight weeks of counseling. You come in every week and we'll sit there and you can tell me how miserable you are. And I'll give you some Bible verses and a few assignments. And you'll go home and you'll be back the next week and say, listen, I still hate my wife and my mother still makes me mad, blah, blah, blah. There's never any deliverance. Folks, listen. If we will bring people to the foot of the cross and we'll begin to preach a cross message, we'll begin to preach the, the delivering power of the message of the cross, preach uh, deliverance to the captives, amen, through the preaching of the revelation of the cross. Listen, all of our counseling times will be cut down to a minimum. All of those type of things that, that, that uh, high-maintenance, low-impact converts will become nullified and will begin to see the victory come. And so we've got to come to that place of the cross. Folks, we're going to finish out the next couple of days this uh, seventh chapter. I hope that you're, you're getting this. I hope that you're... you're um, you're getting something poured upon to do something. I know we, we spit out a lot of uh, information in a short amount of time. But folks, listen, uh, I've got one bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word, and God's Word is going to get into you.